You're listening to audio from Redemption Church of Houston. We are a people who believe that Jesus has invited everyone into his radically inclusive, world-altering way of love. That means that when we gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or in homes throughout the week, you are welcome here. Regardless of your social status, gender, race, sexual orientation, or politics, we want you to fully and actually join, grow, worship, and serve with us. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, Jesus invites you into his radical love just the way you are. And so do we. Good morning, Redemption Church. How are y'all this morning? Oh, yeah, I left y'all in an awkward spot. Y'all are used to saying hello, and I asked you how you were, and yeah. Um, It's good to see y'all. It's refreshing to see y'all. So we are in the middle of our year at the table, um, where we are exploring what it means to be God's people in the world. And can I let y'all in on a little secret? This is what we do all the time. (laughs) We just uh, called it something really fancy, and we gave it some objectives that actually embody so much of what we are all about. And it's an important emphasis, and it's a good reminder that we are a people who exist for an actual purpose. And so our three objectives for our year at the table is first and foremost to understand that Jesus is actually really inviting you, yes, you, yes, even you, to sit and to feast at his table. And part of our conversation today will be that we tend to try and put asterisks and footnotes on that invitation, but that invitation is from Jesus and from Jesus alone, and he is saying, you are invited to come and sit and feast with me and my people. Our second piece of uh, that is that as we recognize our own invitation to come and sit at the table, we recognize that Jesus is actually encouraging us to participate in what happens at the table. We're not meant to just sit back and watch others eat. We are actually invited to feast as well. And we are invited to do things at the table that we might not otherwise do. Things like forgiving, things like generosity, things like inclusion. And then third and finally, our goal is to realize that the table does not exist for us, that it's not actually our table, that we are not the center of the table, and that the table has lots of seats that were meant for other people who are not there, and so we make room at the table for others, especially for others who are not like us, that are different from us, maybe even those we might call our enemies. And so it's this third one that we're going to dig into today, this idea of inclusion. You've got a little card in front of you in the back of your chair. It says radically inclusive, and if you pull it up, it says hope after that. It's a brilliant design. Whoever did that was genius. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much for the awkward chuckles. But I think there's a big piece. Before we can start talking about inclusion, Can I be honest and say that I don't think we really want inclusion? (laughs) I think we want like a certain type of inclusion, like there's like a popular type of inclusion that we actually really want, and we want to be known as like inclusive people who are on the right side of history and that sort of inclusion. We're like, yes, let's do that. 
But when we get into like Jesus's type of inclusion, a type of inclusion that says, no, no, absolutely anyone is welcome to this table, it starts to make us a little bit uncomfortable. And we start to lose like control of the table and we start to realize like, oh wait, the table's not actually our table after all. Um, And it becomes a confronting conversation. So before we have the confronting conversation, can we have like the actual disarming underlying foundational reality of that, which is our first goal of the year? Hey, Jesus is actually really inviting you to the table as you are. And I, I wonder how you hear our passage that we read this morning. This is one of my favorite passages in all of the Gospels um, for lots of reasons. But I think it's interesting to see, for whatever reason, the way that Matthew tells this story, did Jesus, right, like, can we just use modern day language here for just a second? Like, Jesus should have been canceled for this. Like, he is not responding in the way that we would expect Jesus to respond. A woman comes to him and he ignores her. He doesn't just not answer her request. He completely just disregards her existence. That's problematic. So the disciples are like, can you do something about this? This woman is really annoying. Can you like send her away or something? And Jesus' response is uh, this, yeah, whatever. The food is for the children and not for the dogs which if, again, we're being really honest, is a quip that is likely parroting a saying that was going around that borderlines on a racial slur. A dog was a Gentile outsider. It was a racial epitaph tied directly to the lack of inclusion of non-Israelite people. And what Jesus is getting at, at here is not that that is the right way to think. It's actually quite the opposite. But let's set all of that to the side for just a moment, because I think the reason Jesus operates in the way that he does here is to give this woman some space to show us and teach us what she emphatically believes about God, rightly believes about God. And so in the face of that, in the face of Jesus's seeming exclusion when he ignores her, she then grovels. She goes from begging, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, to getting down on her hands and knees and saying, please help me. And then, even then, when Jesus quips, don't you understand? The food is for the children, not for the dogs. Her response is, yeah, but even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall off their master's table. And she uses this really peculiar language. First, Jesus, son of David. That is not language that a Canaanite would have used about anyone, much less this so-called Messiah, king of the Israelite people. Right, so if you remember, we did our our summer in the Old Testament. If y'all remember, we had some problematic passages that we dealt with. One of them was, hey, Israel, go into the land of Canaan and kill all the Canaanites, Why? I don't know. They've done a lot of violent things, and it's time for their violence to be returned upon them. And so over the centuries, there was real animosity and ethnic hatred that was built up between the Hebrew people and the Canaanites. And here is a Canaanite woman coming to a Jewish leader and saying, you 
are the Lord, son of David, using a Jewish title for a king. And she is uh, submitting herself to a Jewish king. Right? There's just so much that this woman does that is a model for us. Her act of humiliation, not in like a derogatory way, but in a recognition of decentering herself in centering Jesus. And I find myself asking the question, why in the world would she do this? And why would she be so persistent? And I think the answer is met with the, way, the reason that Jesus responds to her the way that she does, or the way that he does. It's because of who she believes Jesus actually is and what she knows about God. I think she refuses to give up on the only one that she knows can possibly change her reality. Her problem is not, I don't know, I'm a little poor. Could you help me out? Her problem is not, I don't know, I got a tummy ache. Could you make me feel better? Her problem is not, I don't know, I really want to get into this great program. Could you help me? Her problem is my daughter, my precious daughter is demon-possessed. And I would imagine, like, what has this woman done? What lengths has she gone to to try to rid her daughter of this demon? Who has she seen? Who has she prayed to? What doctors and witch doctors and medicine men has she gone to to try to relieve this reality that her daughter has a demon? So I find myself in this story recognizing, oh my God, there are certain things in my life and there are certain things in your life that only Jesus can actually really truly do anything about. And I find that what this woman does that is so remarkable is she casts her life onto that reality. And recognizes her need and recognizes the only one who could possibly meet it. See, her recognition is not, well, we just need uh, the right proper medicine here, or we just need a little bit more money here, or we just need to surround ourselves with different types of people here. Her recognition is like, no, 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 there's nothing in nature that can actually solve this. I need the one who can command even the demons. She goes to the one who can actually enter into the broken natural world and do something about its brokenness. Even the dogs. She doesn't argue with him on the basis of deservedness. But don't you know that I deserve this? I've done good things. I'm a religious person. I'm not a religious person. I vote this way or that way. It's actually the opposite. As Jesus excludes her, she goes, yes, I realize I'm excluded. That's the problem. Will you please somehow include me? Will you bring me into the Father's love? Will you let me share in this kingdom of God where we get to feast at the table together? Will you give me just, even just some crumbs? And Jesus looks at her and goes, woman, which is a term of endearment. It's not like woman, right? It's because your faith is great and it's granted to you. 
And at that moment, she is enfolded into the healing love of God. And her daughter is rid of the demon. So the way that Matthew tells this story, uh, the way that Matthew tells his whole gospel, it's, it's, it's a gospel of kingdoms. There's the kingdom of darkness, and then there's God's kingdom. And you've got Jesus in the middle, and he's showing you like, hey, God's kingdom is this, and I am the one who's over God's kingdom and who is bringing God's kingdom in. And he shows you this in two ways. One, he's going to do some like powers over darkness thing, which is kind of what you're seeing here, that I can take the kingdom of darkness and I can throw it out. But the other thing he's going to show you is that the way of God's kingdom is actually upside down and backwards than you think it is. When you're living into all of the self-preservation ways of isolation where we pit ourselves over and against one another, we talked about that last week, you're actually living into the kingdom of darkness. And when you live into my way, the way that seems backwards, where the way up is down, the way of uh, elevation is through humiliation. The way of life is actually the way through death. See, our reading today is a story of insiders and outsiders. And it's a story about the heart of God and the heart of how God is remaking the cosmos. But before we get to that conversation, can I, can I let you in on why this matters to me so deeply? Because this is a story of me. It is a story of God's inclusion of this outsider, this sinner, who still fails to get it right all of the time, and yet God continues to patiently and redemptively love me anyways and gently guide me towards a better way. This is not me getting to stand here and be like, man, all of you dogs need to figure it out. Like, hey, we get to be dogs together, Uh, which in our world, I guess, is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, We got some dog in us, I guess. But then I ask myself the question, as a pastor, as someone who's trying to lead our community in the way of Jesus, um, one, I want you to know you are deeply loved by God. And God has gone to great lengths to actively include you into communion with him and his people. But then my next question is, as Jesus gently guides us in his way, I wonder who your Canaanites are. I wonder who your people are that you insist God could never and would never include because of their lifestyle. As if our lifestyles were so godly and are so godly. I wonder if this story strikes you with the force it ought to as the disciples stand and insist on the exclusion of the Canaanite. The Canaanite woman uh, recognizes her, her exclusion and then goes to the God of inclusion and says, hey, I know you got something for me. Will you include me? Because I know that's what you do. And the lesson here is not actually one where the outsiders are excluded, but rather one where the outsiders are brought in and included. And those who stand firmly on the insider, uh, on the insider position, based on anything in and of themselves, quickly realize that they might be the ones being pushed out. And we see this played out throughout the rest of the New Testament. We see this in Acts with the tongues of fire and all these different multi-ethnic languages are spoken in this moment of God's 
envelopment of different nations and different peoples and different cultures in Christ. And we see this with Paul's um, pretty strong words with Peter as Peter backtracks a little bit after having a vision from God about, hey, look, you call these things unclean over here. I'm telling you, I have made them clean. I'm God. I decide that's clean. It now has my spirit. You are to include it because I've included it. The it being a person, I realize I just, yeah. And then Peter later on is like, yeah, but when I sit with the non-Israelites, the Hebrew people kind of judge me and they look down on me and my reputation starts to take a hit. So I'm actually not going to eat with them because I don't want to defile myself. It's for religious reasons. And Paul's like, do you not understand what Jesus has done? I think we always will run the danger of being concerned and in determining who is chosen and who is rejected. There are whole theologies built around this. And Jesus is not inviting us to decide who is in and who is out. That is not our job. We try to curate God's people based on our theology or our preferences, our biases, and maybe even our fears. And yet, are we not outsiders? We've got a bunch of, I'm assuming, non-Jewish people in here following a Jewish Messiah who claims to be the king of the world who's going to come back and establish his Jewish kingdom upon the earth Feeling a little outsideish right now. And yet, we follow this Jesus because of the compelling inclusion into communion. And then all of a sudden, if we take a step back and we look at the story, we realize, oh, this was the point the whole time. That this claim to the woman, woman, you have great faith, your request is granted, is an invitation into what Jesus is doing on the cosmic level. Jesus is not just about the business of casting out our demons. He is about the business of casting out the demons of our enemies as well. Jesus is about the business of casting out all the demons Jesus is not just about showing us mercy. Jesus is about showing mercy to our enemies. Jesus is not just about forgiving us. Jesus is also about the business of forgiving our enemies. The cross is nothing but God's divine act of reaching out towards the excluded in order to embrace and include them in. He reaches out towards the estranged, towards the isolated, towards the enemy of God, and he enfolds them into divine love. This is the work of Jesus. It is inclusion into the redemptive love of God. And so what the Canaanite woman shows us is that even though we are outsiders, even though we might be unclean, even though we might be sinners, Jesus includes us. 
In fact, if we sit at this table long enough and start looking around, you all of a sudden realize, oh wait, there are no insiders. We're all outsiders. We're all sinners. We're all those who have been pushed to the periphery. And Jesus' inclusion of this woman, all that she is, including her outsider status, into his insider category, where he gives her the benefits of the children, is the work of Jesus. So my challenge for us today is there's two big takeaways here. Um, And they're basically two sides of the same coin. As we sit at Jesus' table together, we rightly recognize, how did I get here? Uh, I'm wearing the wrong clothes. This is awkward. And yet, here I am. And Jesus says, welcome, friend. Sit here. Eat my food. It's really great and good for you. You should sit and enjoy it. But how quick are we to then turn and use that position at, at our place at the table to start deciding who deserves to be there and who doesn't? And so Jesus is, yes, asking us, hey, let me handle the business of exclusion and inclusion. Let me handle the business of judgment. Let me handle the business of who's in and who's out. I'll be up to God's work. You be up to your work. And I need you to be transformed into someone who is like me. And my heart is absolutely and fundamentally a heart that reaches and stretches out to the outsider. And so not excluding people is just like the base level. There's like a whole other thing that Jesus is inviting us into. Like we have actual real work to do. So there's this whole theme throughout um, the scriptures. So y'all are familiar with like election, speaking of inclusion and non-inclusion. So election is this idea that God has chosen you and selected you for a chosen purpose or whatever. Um, So a lot of times we turn this into like who's going to be chosen to go to heaven and who's going to be chosen to not go to heaven, i.e. hell. But anytime you see that language of choosing in the scriptures, it is always choosing for a purpose. And so what what Paul does really masterfully is he takes this language that was reserved for the Israelites, and he says God's chosen people in the Old Testament. He then takes it and transforms it through the work of Jesus, and he says, no, no, y'all now, of of every people, nation, tribe, and tongue, y'all who are not Israelites are actually God's chosen So go about the work of God, right? And there's this whole thing in Ephesians where it talks about, and you were chosen. And you're like, oh yeah, I was chosen. That's great. It's fantastic. And then you keep reading to do good works, to be about the business of God, to be the community of God among a kingdom of darkness. And so we do not just stop at not excluding people. That's a great place to start. But then we go about the business of God, which is to actively be present in people's lives in a way that allows God to show up in and through us in inclusion. He is inviting us to actively invite in, to share our lives with other people, to share the hope of the one who can cast out the demons of the people around us. Okay, hold on. Someone's going to clip that and it's going to sound really bad. This metaphor, okay? So the people around us don't actually have demons, okay? (laughs) 
But like there are some real tangible monsters that we all have to battle in our lives. We were talking this morning, uh, so every morning we get together and we pray and we were sharing some of our prayer requests and, and the realization of just there are things that are so far beyond our ability to do anything about that each of us is confronting and will continue to confront. People mourning loved ones lost too soon. People mourning racial injustice. People mourning divorce. People mourning um, their kids being in danger. People mourning right, all sorts of stuff that we just have no control over. And so when I say the people around us have demons, this is what I mean. The people around us have things in their life that a, a potluck and an Uber Eats gift card is like, that's great, but it's not actually going to fix. And we can actually invite them into the hope that we have. We can help them see and know, hey, Jesus has a seat at the table, even for you. I know it's crazy. I know it sounds wild. I didn't think I had a seat either, but I do. It's right here. Come and join me at this table. Come and sit and feast at the table of Jesus. And so we can invite in and share the hope of the one who has cast out the demons. And we could actually really maybe start to see the lives of our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors changed. Not because of us, but because of the one we know. Jesus came close to those who were far. This is literally what we celebrate every Christmas. Where the God of the universe came down among humanity to share himself with them to include us, to invite us into the fullness of our humanity, even you, whoever you are, whatever you've done, whatever you will do, and whatever anyone has said about what God thinks of you. Here's what I know to be true about God because of Jesus, that God desperately loves you and desperately wants you to come and sit at his table. So, can we've started our service with a little bit different, um, I don't know, rhythm. And, and one of the reasons we've done that is I've, I want to help us remember why we're gathering. Our video does a great job of that. If you ever pay attention to our video, it's really great. The majority of us, if you've been around any length of time, are like, oh yeah, the video's on. I've got three minutes. (laughs) At the beginning of every service, we begin with the reality of Jesus is including us in, all of us. Actually, really, all of us. And I want to pick on a couple of things here just because I think it's important for us to hear and important for us to say. One, regardless of your marital status, you are actually really loved by Jesus and can fully be included here at Redemption Church. 
Whether you are married or single or divorced or getting divorced, you are welcome here and we're glad you're here. Another is your sexuality. Whether you are gay or straight, Jesus freely invites you to his table. You are fully and actually and really included here at Redemption Church, not because we're, we've got it all right, but because we believe that that is actually and really what Jesus is doing in the cosmos, and we want to mirror that here on earth. Now, I understand that that's really complicated for a lot of people, and we also want this as much as we can to be a place for you to wrestle with some of that, and if you're not quite there yet, that's totally fine. You don't have to be, and we're not going to assist, insist that you are. This table is for you also. Um, but we, what we won't do and we can't do is allow us to hurt one another allow us to insist back and forth on who's inside and who's outside and who can come and share in the body and blood of Jesus and who can't and who has the Holy Spirit and who doesn't. Friends, these are things that you and I don't get to decide. They are way above our pay grade. There are lots of other uh, layers to this. The last one I'll mention is your gender. Regardless of your maleness or your femaleness or your neitherness, Jesus says, You are actually and really included. Will you come and sit and feast and participate in my kingdom fully? And so we do too. There's no exclusions, there's no caps, there's no glass ceilings. At least we try for there not to be. Um, And so at the risk of oversharing, I will overshare just to put all the cards out on the table. And there's a reason that uh, Jordan Ray um, is on regular, like she's not quite on staff, but she's basically on staff. She's on retainer as our preacher in residence. She has an MDiv from HBU. Um, and we believe that it's important for us to embody the reality that women are freely allowed to stand up and preach as preachers without being the un- under the umbrella or authority of maleness in some weird way. She's under the authority of Jesus Christ, and she's endowed with the Holy Spirit, and so let her preach. But can I also share with you, we recently had a friend who came and preached um, who is openly gay. Uh, she preached to you a couple weeks ago. She isn't making her whole thing about, hey, I'm gay. She's making her whole thing about, hey, I love Jesus and you should love Jesus too. And so when I say that there is real, absolutely uh, free inclusion here at this table, I mean it. Are you following Jesus? Are you showing evidence of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control? Are you living in self-sacrificial love for your neighbor and in God? Then welcome, friend. Okay, maybe I lost half of you, maybe not. But I think there's something really freeing here for us. I don't come from a background where this is what I've always believed. And so if if you're not quite there yet, I need you to hear like, that's okay. You don't have to agree that that was an okay thing for us to do, Um, but can we talk about it? I think there's something important about wrestling with this. I think there's something important to recognize that the church, the community of spirit-filled believers has, has wrestled a lot with this. 
and both parties are coming to the table saying, hey, look, the scripture says this, and we're interpreting it in two different ways. No one is saying, ah, forget what the scriptures say. Okay. That was off script, by the way. I don't, yeah. So there we go. Um, Let's wrap this puppy up. So one of the things that we will be tempted to do is not just our lack of, right, we don't want to just not exclude people. That's good. We also want to work to include people. Now, the last thing I'll say about this, a number of us grew up in conservative evangelical circles where evangelism was like this weird thing. So I literally, I took a course on evangelism and the requirement for the class, for me to pass, I had to go stand at a bus stop on uh, Michigan Avenue in Chicago, Illinois, with a big sign, and as people were trying to get home from work, stand at the bus stop and like pester them with, quote unquote, the good news of, hey, you're going to hell, you better change your mind about that before you get on the bus, because if the bus crashes, in ways that like in the moment, I believed that fully, but also was really uncomfortable about. So like, can we acknowledge there's some like really gross ways we can sales, we cannot salesmanship our way um, out of hell and into heaven, which is basically what we're doing. Here are five steps to avoid hell. Like if that's our pitch, uh, that, that's a broken pitch. But can I also acknowledge that most of us in the room weren't spending their Friday and Saturday night standing on a street corner sharing the gospel with people in that way? And can I also maybe say the uncomfortable thing out loud? It's probably been a really, 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 really long time since you've had a conversation with someone who doesn't believe in Jesus about Jesus. Did I say that right? You get what I'm saying. And can I just gently nudge you towards this reality Jesus is not inviting us to throw out evangelism. Jesus is inviting us to share the hope that we have within us. And so to the the level at which you are hoping in Jesus, I hope and pray you will find creative and real and authentic ways to share that with the people around you that are not coercive or manipulative or to put some sort of weird spiritual notch in your belt. But because Jesus is leading us to actually love the people around us. And part of what it means for us to love the people around us is to share this really remarkable person that we all know. The one who can cast out even the demons. The one who's included even us. And we can actually really invite others to know him and be included too. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, get coffee with a pastor or visit us on a Sunday, then go to redemptionhou.com and please know today that you are fully loved and fully accepted just the way you are we hope to hear from you soon